0: Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. All right, well, good morning, everyone. It's Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast, and we're here today to interview Larry Robbins about his article in Frontline earlier this year called Unique Opportunities of Community Chaplaincy. And we encourage you to subscribe to our Substack so you can read Larry's article in full. Now, Larry, uh, you served uh, as as part of the pastoral staff on two churches during your ministry, most recently That's at correct. Tri-Cities in uh, Westminster, Colorado, uh, where our annual meeting will be next year, Lord willing. That's correct. Well... And uh, you also June. served for, I think you said, 23 years as a police chaplain. So maybe you could, I think I saw pictures of uh, you on Facebook recently retiring. I don't even, can't even imagine retiring, but I wonder what that's all about.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, retiring. Well, I retired from the uh, Westminster Police uh, being a volunteer chaplain for about 23 and a half years. Um, had no idea when I started that I'd be doing that for that many years but it was tremendously rewarding, just a great time. But I I retired from there, but I still keep my fingers involved a little bit, stop over at the police department and visit. Made a lot of friends, a lot of good friends, long-time friends.
0: Right. Well, that's great. So, and and your role at the church, are you uh, busy doing things there still? In the
1: I am. I'm on a limited role. I'm a a pastor. We kind of kid about it. I'm the only one that I know of in history that's been an associate pastor emeritus. So I've been here at the church. They just... (laughs) They just honored me for 40 years here at Tri-City Baptist, wow, I was 10 that's... years in Augusta, Georgia. But uh, I'm still on staff officially, but yeah. a very limited role. Uh, I do a grief-share ministry right. uh, here at the church and assist in various different things. And I hope to be an encouragement to pastor for uh, some years to come yet.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, you never, like, a, I mean, retirement is a relative thing for those of us who are in the ministry. We just keep doing something. Uh, until we well, can't move anymore.
1: That's correct. Actually, I'm doing the same things. I just don't get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That, well, that makes sense. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your article. We're going to, um uh you, you sort of got into chaplaincy, it sounds like from the article, almost by accident. And I just uh, wonder if you wanted to add something on that about uh, commenting about the Lord's leading. Like sometimes things come into our lives and we didn't even expect we were going to do it, but. But the Lord clearly has had His hand in it, so maybe you could comment
1: on that. Absolutely, as I look back on it, uh, the Lord definitely was leading and directing me. I uh, didn't have any idea at the time. Um, uh, well, associate pastor another pastor we had here at the church had received a letter from the city, uh, uh, letting them know that uh, us know that they're starting a chaplaincy program. They didn't have one at the Westminster Police Department, and the uh, a sergeant that was in charge of doing that. Um, they had been having a Bible study there in the uh, police department with three or four guys, and they have been praying that God would really do something. In fact, the sergeant is actually a Bible college graduate, it, um, and he took about a year to plan and do it very carefully, and he thought the ethical thing to do was send out letters to about 120 churches here in Westminster, and just an interest letter. And right. our other associate pastor came, went one week to that, and I didn't know anything about it, but he came back and said, they're having a second meeting, would you like to go with me? I said, well, yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. I've had a family member that was a distant family member in in law enforcement and had some uh, other friends Uh, when I was in Augusta, Georgia there that were involved in police work. And there was some interest there, I suppose. And so I went to the second meeting. There was only one other church that responded out of the 120 uh, for the first meeting. And we went to the second meeting. We were the only church that responded. And so the uh, sergeant was thrilled to death that that, uh, it was a Bible, two Christians, Bible believers that had responded to the (laughs) Interest letter. Yeah. And so both of us began as chaplains. So uh, it just kind of went from there. I started getting chaplain training and just uh, little by little and uh, getting the training and experience. And I found myself um, uh, very much uh, enjoying and excited about uh, being able to participate in this way. And I had complete support of uh, uh, Pastor Olson at the time and Pastor Sen since then. Right. Uh, regarding this as my fishing hole. and encouraged me to spend all the time I wanted to over there. Right. And it's uh, worked out well. Uh, because, uh, as like a, a police station, it's open 24 hours a day, so I could go anytime I wanted. Right. And so it worked out very well in my schedule.
0: Right. Now, the um, uh, you mentioned training there, and uh, that that brought to uh, on my mind a couple of questions because I understand with like military chaplains, they require uh, an MDiv as a minimum requirement. Now, is there anything like that for
1: uh, military, I mean,
0: for uh, community chaplaincy?
1: Community chaplains That's totally dependent upon the agency. Uh, right. So this is a brand-new program, and so we kind of established the requirements as we went along. So I we see. kind of wrote that up. So we now have them there at Westminster. Uh, so at this point, they uh, uh, have to be ordained uh, by a, a re- uh, acknowledged uh, denomination uh, and live and work in the city. And that's okay. basically it. So basic ordination is the only requirement that we had at the time. Okay,
0: and so then, uh, as far as the other training, uh, like, what kind of courses and who who would, uh, provide those, uh, for you in that kind of setting?
1: Uh, it was kind of, back in, when I started this, 1998, basically, um chaplaincy was not very well known, uh, hmm. community chaplains, especially police, fire, uh, hmm. that didn't really come into the forefront until 9-11, when that really oh, came, right. uh, became very public. Yeah. Uh, so there was not a lot of uh, training available per se, although he, uh, the sergeant immediately put me in contact with another chaplain in a, an adjoining city uh, to go and meet with them. They had some uh, meetings with their chaplains at the time, a Bible believers. So I went and started setting into some of their meetings. Right. And I was uh, brought into contact with some other national organizations for training, and I was traveling uh, to those national meetings to get additional training, which was very helpful. Uh, so that's basically little by little. Uh, that's right. what's taking place.
0: Yeah. So, so it's almost a pioneering type of ministry, I guess, as you're starting out in it. It really is. It really was. That's correct, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So now I was going to also ask on that line. I, I somewhere along the way you mentioned in the article that you had been become endorsed by the F, FBFI as a chaplain, uh, which is one of the big ministries of our group. So I wondered if you could comment on how that helps maybe your ministries specifically and other ministries, other
1: similar ministries that you know about? Um, being a part of the, uh, the FBF at the time, the FBF, the FBFI, um, uh, was very much a kindred spirit. Uh, with I've known several of the uh, board members and pastors and I've been a part of that for years. In fact, as I was looking back on it in the history of fundamentalism, we were just reading that in the history of the FBFI, that uh, uh, one of the earlier uh, meetings, uh, the original national meetings of the FBFI. Uh, at that time, the uh, uh, fundamental Baptist fellowship was mm-hmm. actually held at the first Baptist church of Arvada right here. And that's basically our roots The Tri-City Baptist church or are the first Baptist church of Arvada. Mm-hmm. So as a teenager, I actually attended that meeting mm-hmm. uh, years ago. Um, but so I've been very much a part of the uh, FBF, FBFI as far as my uh, friendships and my identification and mm-hmm. so it was just a natural thing when they developed the uh, chaplaincy program at the f b f i that I wanted to be a part because i could I thought it could be an encouragement to them, and that could be a help to me as far as training as well. Great right. fellowship with the other chaplains,
0: right, yes, yeah. so I think there's a lot of help with that, and I know that we have you know several fellows who are you know there at almost every annual meeting. you sort of see them there again right. and again, and they they help each other out, I am sure uh, all right, so let's just move on a little bit in the article, okay. Okay, you have, I picked out a quote here. You said, I was experiencing firsthand the city and culture our congregants actually face in the world outside of our church walls. So, um, I think, well, there's two ways. I have two questions that follow on from this. So, uh I think those pastors who have uh, spent time as what we call nowadays bivocational, where they're working a secular job as well as pastoring a church, often have secular contacts that right. enhance right. the ministry. But uh, how does that help? Well, the first question is, how does that help not outside the church walls, but inside the church walls? Like How does it affect the way that you minister with people in the congregation?
1: I think it helps in my, you know, being a pastor, you're involved in counseling at one level or another. Yeah. And so I think it really helped me in understanding uh, better uh, the battles that they face when you're out riding with the police station, uh, police officers, and you go into uh, domestic situations, mm-hmm. uh, households, you go right into the household where they're, when they're experiencing problems, right. difficulties, difficulties with children, difficulties with spouses, uh, with family members. And you get to see that, and you're right in the middle of it uh, immediately. And so, when things come up with members of the church, um, they're, they're not uh, any different than the people out in the community for the most part. Um, so, I have a better understanding of, uh, of uh, how to address that, um, having seen some of that thing, those things firsthand. Uh, growing up as a pastor in a pastor's home and a great uh, uh, pastor's wife, uh, mm-hmm. we don't don't experience a lot of those troubles and difficulties. Uh, but it's, so it's, uh, it's helpful to see, though, so I can relate to them better and be able to give them counsel. I relate that to uh, uh, the fact that I lost my own wife to cancer back in 2012. Mm. Um, and um, I, I've been counseling people through trauma, and difficulties like that, and losing people for years as a pastor. But until I lost my own wife, I, underst- I began to understand that I had no clue uh, even though I had biblical answers, I really had no clue of understanding. Yeah. So, uh, that, that's kind of a parallel there. So when you experience those things firsthand, you can relate to people a lot better. You can look them in the eyes and they, they know that you understand. I think that's yeah. a, a big part of that.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's true. Like, uh, there's nothing, I mean, we can learn a lot in books, but the experience is the, is the thing. And as the Lord matures us in ministry. Now, mm-hmm. in line with that, now, uh, I do think that Uh, you know, in our day, we have a lot of things that, um, where we, in our Christian life, we create a real Christian community in our churches. So we have, uh, you know, our big social outlet or involvement is in our church services, our church fellowships. Uh, we don't really get that involved, I would say, uh, in the community. And now with like say homeschooling or Christian schools, were somewhat isolated in a way from the community, so how would I wonder if you have any suggestions to, for our people for the you know the those who aren't in the ministry, but how would they how can they uh, get themselves involved in the community so that they can be more effective in outreach and and uh, and uh, things like
1: that um, being involved in the city I, this uh, being a chaplain really opened up a lot of doors within the city government itself and the city activities. Um, because, uh, being the, the police chaplain ended up being the only police chaplain. Uh, and then occasionally I had an, a, an assistant or somebody with me. Um, uh, but I was, uh, basically and the fire department, didn't have a chaplain either. Actually, mm. a, a few years later, uh, helped a, another Bob Jones graduate get in as our fire chaplain. He's been there for over 20 years now too. Oh, good. Uh, and loving it. So that, that's a blessing. Uh, but uh, I was regarded more as the city chaplain as much as I was the police chaplain, mm-hmm. because every city event, whether it was the Christmas lighting ceremony, whether it was at the uh, uh, Armed Forces Memorial Garden dedication every year, or those things that they, they events that they do, they'd always call me to come and open in prayer or close in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I used those opportunities to be involved in the city that way. So, uh, and even the city calendar, I, I knew much more about what was going on. And uh, would relate to our people in the church opportunities that they would have uh, to actually go and uh, be a part of those events and be able to share a testimony uh, with yeah. uh, those people in the in the city. Uh, but we had a lot of it. In fact, in the police station itself they began using our church facility for a lot of events. Hmm. Uh, so we had the city coming into our church right. for different things. They become familiar with it, whether right. it be uh, seminars or or training for the police or whatever it might be. So a lot of city events started using our facility just because of my contact at the police department.
0: Right. And I guess uh, what you're saying there is that if people, you know, I mean, we can't do everything, obviously. But if you get involved right. in some way, I guess, uh, in, in community activities, I think that we, you know, maybe we can expand our horizons a bit and make contacts and then help bridge gaps so that people can uh, yes. hear the gospel through that.
1: Absolutely. Now, those friends I made at the police station, I'd find out more about uh, things they've got going on. I'd be invited to some of their their family events, um, at large graduations or or uh, uh, retirements and different things like that. And a lot of that was uh, I did a lot of funerals as well. Yeah. And that got me really ingrained into the police family and a lot of their personal families. And we would end up doing uh, having them over for dinner. They'd have me over for dinner. So yeah. there's a lot of outreach that way, which is really, really a blessing.
0: Yeah, so involvement is, is really a key. Um alright, so, alright, so I, I guess I was, I was also thinking about how as you're going, you talk about going on ride-alongs and you're involved in situations. So in those, each of those opportunities, you'll have an opportunity to minister to, uh, you know, in a way to a hurting family or people that are, you know, in trouble. And, um uh, but, at, but I would suspect most of your direct ministry, or sort of your long-term ministry, was with was with individuals in the police force. Would you say that's that? correct?
1: Oh, uh, well, I would. And specifically, in, in our situation, uh, a lot of chaplain programs are set up differently. Uh, many police uh, departments set up where the uh, chaplains uh, function as victims' advocates, where they go in and talk to the families who have been violated, uh, crimes against them, or whatever. Uh, and they function as victims advocates and counseling them. Uh, in, in our department and like many other departments as well, I do not function as a victims advocate. Uh, in fact, we have a whole victims advocacy department where there's three full-time paid positions and about 20 volunteers that take care of the public. And mm-hmm. my responsibility was strictly the police, their families, uh, the office personnel dispatch. And it was a, uh, like a, a good sized church family actually. Right. So, uh, I was restricted to that. Uh, There was some overlap, however, when you're out on the street and there's a family hurting and a victim's advocate has not gotten there yet or they haven't requested one, there might be an occasion for me to get some encouragement and pray with them and do some of those things as well. But that was not my focus.
0: Right, okay. All right, well, and I I do think that, you know, as we build relationships, that is that is a key to being able to help people. Um, uh, Okay, so the other thing that I wanted to talk about here is – uh, the the strain that police officers face on their lives, partly through the danger of their, uh, you know, their job, either dealing with violent people sometimes or people who are out of their heads with grief or whatever. Uh, and but we also have a climate where there's a rising antagonism towards uh, the police officers. You mentioned how it affects marriages. I wonder if, um, Absolutely. you could comment on that and other personal problems that you've seen and tried to help people with, uh, the police officers themselves in their, in their own lives.
1: Uh, you now the police culture itself has changed dramatically since I started. Now it's been over 25 years ago. Um, after 9-11, uh, police were everybody's hero, mm-hmm. uh, as well as firefighters for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, gradually and that doesn't last long. People forget. Mm-hmm. And then with all the, uh, I think agenda of the left has uh, uh, tried to disrupt that uh, mm-hmm. sense of uh, uh, law law law-abiding citizens and support for that. I don't think it's by accident. I think it's a satanic thing as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the opposition to police is extremely uh, difficult for the officers. I mean, it was hard before just dealing with uh, violent people. As you're right, the the the, the threat of leaving the house uh, to go to work every day not knowing whether you're going to make it home safely at, at night. Uh, that's extremely difficult for spouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got many examples of that where a police officer's been injured, and uh, uh, within two months they're divorced because the wife couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just very difficult. It, it's, uh, a lot of pressures. Uh, there was a time I was informed by the police station before they had a chaplain at all that uh, in the history of the department for probably a 100 years, Every officer that had been involved in a fatal shooting was divorced within six months. Uh, So it's extremely difficult, just the pressures of of that. And then you add to that the changing of climate, where uh, now you've got uh, laws that are restricting uh, police work that they've been trained to do, Mm -hmm. where they're basically in Colorado, I know at this time, some states are different for sure, but uh, in Colorado, uh, every police officer, why they they will be backed up by the department in criminal cases. uh They're subject to a civil lawsuit every day they go out. Yeah. So, so. people can come back and sue them, and that's happening regularly. And yeah. so that puts an extreme amount of pressure. We had a lot of officers that, when that's come about in the last four or five years, uh, well, they've totally gotten out of police work or they move out of state because as a result that, of that pressure. So that, very very that's difficult.
0: Incredible. We, you know. Um, it, I can imagine how stressful that is. Does um, uh, I guess I, do they have a? This is sort of a. This is not really your, about your article. Did, is
1: there a shortage of police officers in your area? Oh my! Yes, we've been every department in Colorado is understaffed. We have uh, openings. Uh, we were having uh, our uh, uh, in our department. We had basically 180 to 190 uh, officers, uh, commissioned officers. And then of course all the support staffs so we're talking about 300 people basically there yeah. employed but uh, we've been understaffed 20 to 25% uh since before covid so um and it's uh, difficult to find officers uh, new officers we're getting good young men but not as many we're really searching and uh, you don't want to lower your standards yeah. uh because then you're then you've got uh, a lot yeah. of additional problems you don't need yeah, so that's right. uh, yeah it's very great. most departments are down uh, mm-hmm. and about bottom average probably about 20% Underneath what they're supposed to be having. So they, there's not as many people on the street. They can't cover as much and more people are more unsatisfied with police work because there's not enough coverage.
0: Yeah. I wonder if, uh, like, okay, so I have to confess, I have been pulled over a few times. <laughs> I have a heavy foot, I guess. Uh, but anyway, the, uh, uh, you know, naturally when you're being told you've done something wrong, you sort of don't like it. So I wonder if, uh, what, it, in general, is there, with Christians, you know, how can we, you know, cultivate the right kind of spirit, uh, towards authority?
1: Um, yeah, that's it. You're right. In the public, uh, nobody likes a police officer in their interaction, but everybody loves the fireman. So <laughs> we yeah. call that the dark side. So it's, uh, um, but uh, yeah, in police work, you're right. I think what's really happened in our church, church family here, we got a significant, uh, congregation here uh, but because we're having law enforcement days and have police officers here on a regular basis and honoring them taking time to to honor them um, uh, basically when people of our congregation or pastors or whoever do get pulled over uh, they seem to be uh, very quick to tell the officers and not trying to get out of it but that they're very supportive of the police officers and they go to church here and they're praying for them yeah. And they appreciate what they're doing, and so I think <laughs> just having those police officers around really, really uh, helps. And having the right attitude when we are faced with those times when yeah. okay, we're uh, we've been we've been caught we're uh, doing something, you're right. Yeah, yeah,
0: we are. I mean, it is. Well, we have to acknowledge our guilt. So I remember this one time I was driving down the road and I saw the police trap, and uh, they're pulling people over right and left. And i about a, an hour later, I had to come back the same way, and I forgot they were there. And it was a section, it's a spot where you drop down from 50 miles an hour to 40 miles an hour, the speed limit. And you know, not thinking and not and, and sure enough, they caught me and pulled me over. I said, man, I saw you before. And <laughs> I said, but I, they had a really good spot. It was really an excellent spot. for <laughs> Why you got me guilty? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, no answer. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, we have to acknowledge when we've done something wrong. All right, that's, well, that's uh, right. let's see here. Uh well, we talked to, you were talking about uh the idea of how how the culture has changed and how the police rep- departments are are down in their uh uh numbers and I guess not only the the protests but even covid, I wonder how much um how how ha- much did that impact the culture
1: uh, it, it did uh because you you're, here you 're out uh, the police officer 's job is to contact the public, yeah, and so here we are with a pandemic going on, and they had wearing masks, but we all know that that was not very effective anyway, and yeah. so uh, police officers were going in and taking their temperature every day when they came to work yeah. and being regularly tested or else they couldn't they couldn 't work yeah. and so it was it was really difficult, but they were subjecting themselves to being uh, 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 Confronted with uh, or being exposed to COVID every day on the job, yeah. Yeah. so I made it very difficult as
0: well. Yeah. Did they? Did you find uh, a lot of people just simply retiring as they're like if they're say in their I don't know early 60s or something, just deciding to take early retirement in that kind of situation?
1: Because as much as yeah, as much as they're able to financially to do that, there were some that would say, you know what, it's a good time for me to to get out. Yeah, uh, of of that, uh, of the work. Uh, I, again, talking about the culture, when I first started, I had talked to officers and dealt with them who were, uh been there for many years, maybe 20, 30 years, and they had never drawn their weapon their entire career, wow. ever. Wow. And now we have officers this last couple of years who were involved in shootings maybe twice the first year they work. Wow. So that's the, just a the violent uh, society is very, very obvious. Right. Uh, and they know that. They know that's uh uh, it's, it's, whether they're church going people or not, or whether they're believers or not, they recognize immediately this is a battle between good and evil, and they'll readily admit that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's really something. And, and, uh, I mean, that, that in itself has to affect the whole mindset that, uh, you know, he's thinking of, especially a rookie policeman. He's in his first year on the job and, and now he's in an armed conflict with somebody like, you know, within a few months of, of, uh, correct. Yeah, that's, that's not good. And that's gotta help, that's gotta hurt them spiritually and psychologically and all that as well.
1: That's a lot of baggage. Just like, uh, dealing with the traumatic, uh, uh, results of uh, just being in, in, the in the military, uh, being yeah. on the front lines yeah. and having to deal with that. Uh, it's, it's know, very, very difficult. So that's uh, there's right. a lot of trauma counseling as well. Yeah. We,
0: we had a guy in our church who, uh, he was uh, in, on Juneau beach and on D-Day. So mm, wow. The, okay. So. And, um, he got saved late in life. He was a member of our church, really fine guy. And when he was dying, he, he knew he was dying. He was near the end. He, he, uh, made sure his family said that he wants to talk to you about something. So brought me in and he asked me, can God forgive someone for Mm -hmm. killing another man? And that was, so that was like in 1944 all the way into the two thousands carried that with them all those years. Right. Right. Yeah. So we really need to have a spirit of, of, uh, sympathy and kindness towards those men and women who put themselves into that kind of
1: situation. One one of the most effective things I, I did in serving as chaplain, whenever we'd have a, um, a meeting, get together, or I'd see a police officer just been recently involved in a shooting, uh, uh, Whatever the case might have been, but I'd immediately, I wanted to know who they were, who was involved in it, but I'd find them. And the first thing I would tell them is, I'm proud of you. Thank you for doing your job. Cause sometimes they don't know what, how a chaplain's going to react. Yeah. Well, I just killed somebody and the chaplain's going to yeah. give them a hard time, but not yeah. me. I'd, I'd, Listen, thank you for doing your job. I'm very proud of you. Yeah. And that went a long ways. Yeah. It really, really helped. Yeah, for sure. All right. So,
0: um, let's see here. I guess as, uh, the last sort of thing I'd like to ask is what kind of advice would you give to younger pastors who might be considering community chaplaincy as uh, a way to enhance their ministry? Uh,
1: I think it absolutely does enhance your ministry. I don't think it's a, um, a divisive thing where you've got the church and then you've got the, uh, chaplaincy that pulls you away from your church. I think it absolutely enhances it. I think it goes hand in hand. Uh, it gets the pastor um, more in the, into the practical realm of ministry as opposed to just the book learning or the studying, which is important. It's vital. We know that. Yeah. You we know, need to be in the Word. You've got to be studying the Word. So I think yeah. we also need to be involved in people's lives and in ministry in the communities where God has called us to reach. And so yeah. I think it's very, very important for young men to do that. I know it's really hard, especially in church planning. If you're the only pastor or, or one or two people on staff, it's difficult to spend that time. Yeah. But uh, I think in a limited role, initially at least, I had that privilege of being an associate pastor. So uh that allowed me a lot more time than maybe a senior pastor might. But uh, I think it'd be a, a great opportunity and a great enhancement for the ministry and uh, uh just making your entire church more evangelistic.
0: Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. I guess that would give you, even you know, in illustrations, that when you have an opportunity to preach, you would, things that you could bring in that might uh, encourage the people to have a community mindset, I guess.
1: You get tremendous uh, illustrations for your sermons. Yeah. Sure. You
0: <laughs> yeah. You have to anonymize them, but yeah, <laughs> so, but yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that, that's really great. And uh, I w- I want to thank you in spite of our little zoom glitch there. I want to thank yeah. you for taking part in this, uh, interview and uh trust it'll be a blessing. I'm not quite sure when it'll go out. I sort of have a suspicion it's uh, I've got uh, uh scheduling of various ones, so I might be this week or it might be a couple weeks yet, but we'll figure that out as we go along. There you go. So, very good. All right, so uh this is um let's see here. I wanna uh also mention I mentioned it earlier, but I wanna mention that paying subscribers to the Proclaim and Defend substat can read Larry's article in full on our site once we publish uh, this interview. Uh, we also want to encourage annual subscriptions so you can get Frontline coming to your home. I'm just now reading our most recent uh, issue. It's tremendous and uh, you don't want to miss it. So, no, Great magazine. It's, it really is good. So thanks again to Larry Robbins. This is Don Johnson signing off for the Proclaim and Defend podcast.
1: Thank you, Don. Enjoyed it very much.
0: This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend
1: podcast.